following contains bad language and spoilers. You have been warned. Hello, we are Smells Bad on the Outside. We are here to talk about awesome movies and feel cool and stuff. Hi, this is Smells Bad on the Outside, a podcast about nerdy things for nerdy people. My name is Scott, and with today are some nerdy folks. Introduce yourself, nerdy folks. Do I have to? Yes. I'm Sam, and I do not smell smell bad on the outside. I'm Scott, and I have a really nice personality. Yeah, these are my people. We're going to be talking about uh, Scott Pilgrim, the comics, the movie, the party we went to of... But first, we're going to do a little segment called Pick of the Week, where we talk about something awesome we found this week. Sam, do you want to kick that off? Sure. This week, I've been mostly playing the Scott Pilgrim game on the, from the PlayStation Network. It's an old-school beat-em-up that uh, kind of embodies the ye old 16, 8-16-bit era. It's pretty fun. My only complaint is the controls are a little stiff at times, but I've made it all the way to Roxy. I'm fighting ninjas. On the TTC, it's pretty badass. All right, and Mr. S. Doug, what's your pick? Well, Sam, uh, it's appropriate that you mention that, and uh, I thought you might, but, uh, because my pick of the week is actually a beat-em-up as well. Um, my pick is um, Final Fight Double Impact for the Xbox 360, um, and it's uh, two games, Magic Sword and uh, Final Fight, which is the, the reincarnation of the classic arcade brawler and you, you can play as Hagger and just pick people up and give them the good old-fashioned running pile driver. It's just so satisfying to pick people up and drop them in their necks. In a video game, not in real life. There's a big difference. But, uh, yeah, it's just uh, a lot of fun, you know, to just get your aggression out by going in and just beating up the punks of Metro City for with a good old-fashioned button smash. So that's my pick of the week, and uh, I'm having a lot of fun uh, playing it. You know, when when Schwarzenegger got elected governor and he was talking about cracking down on crime, did anyone else want him to go all Hagger, Mayor Hager and just, you know, take to the streets and beat up hoodlums? It's such an advanced age, though. I don't know if he could uh, make it through half of L.A., you know? I just It would be amazing to see if he could just uh, go back in time and, and be his 80s self. That would be that would be quite the same. I mean, that's, that's an actual movie itself. You don't even have to write a script. Just follow him around. It's a documentary. So, so what we want is Arnold Schwarzenegger to team up with Steven Seagal on his reality show. Pretty much. Except pretty with much. more head-cracking and less um, old fat guys running around. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't know if you've seen Steven Seagal lately, but he just looks like a seal. With his, his, he wears these giant turtlenecks, and they go like all the way up to like the, the bottom of his chin. It's just depressing. Like One of my favorite action heroes as, as a child is just an old, fat, tired man. Uh. But... Father, father time is uh, a cruel master, as they say. Yeah. Well, uh, my pick of the week is not a video game, but is sort of about video games. I'm going to give a big shout-out to uh, LoadingReadyRun.com. I've been following them for a while now, but th- their videos today were just hilarious. I'm a big fan of the Iron Stomach Challenge. That's a quality oh, yeah. If you don't know, they, they're on Escapist. They, they do an ENN, which is that thing you watch after you're done with Yahtzee. Right. And uh, they have sort of a sitcom thing called Commodore Hustle they do every now and again, which is hilarious and I think should be on real TV. They do, they do Unskippable, which is MST3Ks, the video game cutscenes. Today's was uh, the intro to Alpha Protocol, which uh, involved a lot of them mocking the uh, grid of TV screens thing that you see in spy movies. Because the, the joke is that, you know, you can get big TVs now. You don't have to do, like, seven smaller TVs to make one big one. Excellent. And, I mean, the good thing about Loading Red Run is, you know, they're from Vancouver and they're good. And they're sort of trying to dispel the myth of everything bad being in the West Coast. Of Canada, anyway. Yeah. They're just bitter that they're not us. Yeah, that, that's the... Toronto, story. the center of the universe. I was in IRC for RP Gamer, and there was a fight yes. about Vancouver being... About what people in Vancouver think about Toronto. And then I had to break it to them that everyone thinks what Vancouver thinks about Toronto. Vancouver, yeah. you're just not Vancouver. that special. 
that's that's the whole thing, right? I mean, people in Vancouver care a lot about what the people in Toronto think about Vancouver, but the people in Toronto don't really care about the people in Vancouver because you know we know that we're the best, and you know why would you why would you want to worry spend your day worrying about Vancouver? It just seems counterproductive, you know. Well, Toronto doesn't worry about what anyone thinks, actually. Pretty much. Maybe Except maybe like New York. U.S. Yeah, Toronto is like what number five. In terms of uh, population in North America, pretty big deal, I'd say. Big deal. Huge. Huge. And I, I and I do believe we have, have the highest population uh, in relation to uh, latitude, which is Absolutely. kind of neat. Take that, Sweden. Take that, Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just lost our one Swedish listener. That's okay. We but, need them. Uh, yeah, but when we have two listeners, I think Sweden might matter. Very true. Do they still use uh, the Kronor there as their their currency, or have they um have they bought into the euro? Yeah, no. Everyone but Britain brought into bought into the euro. Turkey wants to start using the euro, and everyone in Europe's like, "Screw you, Turkey! We, you can't join the club." Yeah, we're exactly. still annoyed about what you did as the Ottoman Empire. You're not you're not prosperous enough. I I honestly think there are a bunch of North African French colonies that'll get into the EU before Turkey. <laughs> Go Tunisia. Okay, so you want to just start talking Scott Pilgrim? Suits me just fine. Want to just do some like high level reviews of the comic? Anyone? Sam? Yeah, yeah, that works. Yeah. All right. I mean, I've only given it like a read through once, so my analysis is gonna be pretty limited. But I can, I can, I can try and do my best. Dude, dude, this is the internet, home of half formed uh, opinions that must be fact, right? But the one thing I've learned from work is that you know the people on the internet who have half baked opinions are to be hated and booed and you know. Have have buckets of, of offal and pig feces dumped on, you know. That's their. As, as a member of the as a member of the mainstream media, I'm it's my, it's my sworn solemn duty to hate those people with every fiber of my being. Yeah, but that, yeah, but now that you're on this side of the uh, outside media, you, you'll it, it, you have to now do anything uh, possible for attention, even yeah, if that exactly. attention like, is uh, just pig feces. Um, we're we're the uh, we're the we're the proletariat now. There's a fancy word I used in film school. Yeah. Yeah. And besides, pig feces can't be all that bad. I mean, I'm told they're clean animals. The <laughs> transitive property works that way, right? Yeah. But yes, uh, comic, any thoughts? I like the video game references. I like them a lot. <laughs> well, there was this great article, and I suppose I'll have to track it down now for show notes, or just be a dick and not... But uh, that went through volumes one to four and found like seventy separate video game references. Wow. Yep. Yeah, and some of them are like the big obvious ones. Like on page twenty-seven, they play Bomberman, and then there's like weird little things like people are noticing that odd background details. Uh, like my favorite one was not a video game reference, but an anime one. Is uh, there, there's a billboard on a bus in like volume one that's promoting. Um, Trapness new album from the manga Nana, which made oh. me giggle in my nerd pants. I think I saw. Oh, yeah. uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sam. No, I was gonna say that. Yeah, I remember seeing that and kind of going, "Oh, it's Trapness." No. Wait, how does Scott Pilgrim know Trapness? <laughs> For that matter, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe he should have referenced Blackstones because they're the better band in the manga. Clearly, Trapness sold out. Sellouts. No, I, I definitely picked up on the uh, the the Monkey Island reference. Oh, I I love that it is fantastic. Exactly. As for for a comic that funny, I don't I'm not really the type to to, to really laugh out loud a lot. But that was kind of just like okay, because I'm I'm assuming that the crowd who that's targeted at is is kind of around, if not a little bit younger. I think maybe. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe a little older. But looking at the people I'm, I'm I've, I've sure seen, how many... like looking at the people I've seen buying it lately, it it, it seems to be um, sort of a younger crowd. I don't know if they get Monkey Island jokes. Yeah, yeah, I, I just don't. don't... A, there's a big Chrono Trigger reference too. Oh yeah, I, I love the cross slice. X slash. Uh, like those types of little things. I mean, for a newer audience, unless they've played that DS remake, they don't have a clue what that could possibly be. I, I think in terms of demographic, uh, O'Malley sort of wrote this comic for 
him and his buddies who spent a lot of time <laughs> playing old video games and bumming around Bloor Street. And, Probably. And that just seems to resonate with a lot of nerds and hipsters out there. One yeah, of uh, Bobna's friends um, actually went to school with O'Malley, and apparently a lot of the characters were kind of uh, composite sketches of people who they knew and they went to high school with. And, you know, I guess on one hand, it's not really surprising uh, because, you know, the old saying goes, write what you know. But at the same time, you know, I guess you have to kind of big things up a bit in order to make them more dramatic and more uh, ridiculous for, for, you know, a comic book that's supposed to be set in that kind of universe. So well, I just thought it was interesting because, you know, they were they were the characters as presented are, are just so, you know, ridiculous and, and overblown. But I guess like the, the roots and the personality were all uh, derived from, um, you know, real people that, uh, you know, O'Malley knew and uh, had to experience uh, life with. As for my thoughts on the comic, it's a hell of a lot of fun. I love all the stupid references. Uh, I like the story. All the all the characters are great, and there's all these like stupid little details that I just get off on so much, like you know, random voices shouting out the number of combos and people not really caring. And but what my one complaint is that uh, O'Malley apparently only knows how to draw like four faces. And between the time skips and Ramona cutting her hair, changing her hair all the time, it's kind of hard to keep. It's a little disorienting when you first read the next volume, and it's like, okay, who's this guy again? <laughs> I mean, it, it's nice that he gives us the little bubbles to say, you know, Stephen Stills, age twenty-three, ranking awesome. Yeah, and, and um, something I found was that I always had to kind of go back and like reread a lot of panels over and over again because I found a lot of the. Uh, the female characters to kind of look very, very similar. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, Kim and Ramona look almost identical, with the exception of the fact that Kim has freckles. And then but you they add have the, the same hairstyle, so it doesn't help. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you add the other women. Like, there, there's, Ju- there's Julie Powers, Knives, and then there's, like, this cluster of three other named female characters who are just there to say one or two lines every volume. The fact that there's continuity sort of makes you want to keep track of them, even though they're exactly. they're spear carriers. Yeah, pretty much. And you know, really, you can relate anything back to the wire. But uh, just there was just such a, a, a large ensemble cast. You know, I was always kind of you know going back and, and flipping to the front of the book and checking who is who and, and trying to you know keep tabs on everyone. And sure enough, I got lost. Uh, and and forgot you know some of the some of the big crucial plot points you know like when uh, when Scott got the one up like you know I was like oh cool and it completely just you know put it out of mind and then oh he got a one up there's a save point over there it's just another yeah. video game thing yeah yeah exactly like you know there was just and it's not at all fault but there was just there was so much going on you know, I I found it at times uh, it was a lot to keep up with but you know I like that. I thought that was uh, that was good. It, it, it keeps uh, an extra level of um, being engaged uh, in the comic, which is which is something I haven't really uh, found to be that common in my experience. This this is this is sort of unique for a Western comic in that you have one writer, one artist who are the same guy, presumably the same editor across the series, and it's a sh- fairly short run. Like in a, in a lot of American comics, you'll see like. Even a, even an arc of six issues will be ha- will have four different writers and six artists on it, and managing all that just means continuity goes to hell. But because it's this one guy's project, you he can sort of set up little references and keep calling back to them across the whole thing, which is important, I think, because you know you get to really build up some rapport with your reader, you know, and you you, you get to have, uh... and this is one of the things I I had a complaint with in the film. You know, but we can get into that yeah. uh, in, the, in the film section. But, you know, was... when you have a long enough period, you know, you can actually build up some, some residence. Uh, did I just say residence? Resonance. You did. Yeah, amazing. I, I, I can I'm, edit I'm that out. Totally not. Like yeah, you. exactly. I can, I can say anything right now. If you get it. Cock, cock, cock. <laughs> anyway. Give me a couple uh, bucks yes. and I'll make you sound like less of an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So it, I, I just think, the, you know, the longer a series goes like that, as long as you still have a story to tell, 
you know, you can actually start building on stuff. And that's that's why Arrested Development is so good in the second season. Because you, you knew the characters and you knew the gags and it was all established and you kind of, you know, they could just fire off each other and, and you know, kind of build on each other. And that was that was one of the best seasons of TV I've ever watched. And it was fantastic. And, you know, Scott Pilgrim is, is one of my favorite comic books that I've ever read for that exact same reason. Yeah. Well, well just to... Oh, I'll go, go ahead. You go. Okay. Uh, set, um, well, about Arrested Development is uh, the great thing is you'll watch the whole thing, and then like a few months later you'll watch it again, and you'll start giggling in the middle of season one that it stuff from season one that isn't funny but will be funny twenty episodes from now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, no, I was just gonna say I think what's so enjoyable about O'Malley's universe is the fact that the characters are incredibly personable. You feel like you you know them as just you know your own personal friends. You you come to understand their relationship with that situation and that world, and it's pretty easy to get attached to it, especially because Scott is the type of character that, truthfully, he's pretty unlikable if you think about it. Oh but yeah, he's a douche. He's a total douchebag, but at the same time. I mean, as each volume goes on, it's like he's slowly learning a lesson and you're kind of following along what it is that lesson he's slowly learning. Yeah. I I like that O'Malley keeps it really fresh every volume. And, you know, I love the fact that here's here's one of the few things. I don't hate the women in Scott Pilgrim. Generally, I I hate in comic books. I find the women are often very one-dimensional, usually such bimbos that I just I get disgusted really easily. So I like that I could relate to Ramona and I could relate to Stacy and um, Helen and Julie. Lisa. What? Oh, sorry. Hopefully not Julie. Oh, Julie's hilarious. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so it's I mean, like, it's, it's interesting what you said because you know now that I think about it, there weren't a whole lot of really uh, likable characters in the book. I mean, yeah, they're they're not likable, but they're relatable. That's the yeah. thing. Like, you've it, had douchebag exactly. friends like Scott Pilgrim. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. I have acted like that douchebag Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. Not that I'm proud to say it, but, you know, we've been there. Yeah. I've been there. Yep. Said, it, was, I mean, it was a learning experience. Well, it's not just that. I mean, you know, O'Malley's trying to stress that everybody's got baggage. It's yeah. how you choose to deal with that baggage, you know is how you build character. And in Ramona's case, you know, she's struggling to become someone else, but realizes she has to put that baggage ahead of herself so that way she can figure out how to deal. And that's her problem throughout the book, is that she she can't deal with it. So it's up to Scott to kind of, you know, be a part of that and, and help her deal, which is why, you know, fighting seven evil exes, I mean, it it forces her to open up as a character. So I thought that was very well done. Actually, uh, like one thing I want to comment about is uh, sort of looking back over the whole plot arc of the series is it's not a love story. Like th- no. th- there are characters in relate in a relationship, and that sort of forms the core of it. But but this is actually a building's Roman for both, mostly for Scott, but even the other characters around him is that these people are all sort of uh, growing up and becoming adults, and uh, the, the love story just sort of is there like he he's not work like fighting through the fighting through the evil ex-boyfriends is not about um scott sort of conquering um sort of troubles with ramona it's conquering troubles with himself in a sort of way absolutely everybody loves a classic coming of age tale especially uh where your guys beat up robots exactly Okay, um, does anything, anyone want to add anything else about the comic? Hmm. I'm good. I think I'm good too. Alright, let, let's talk about, let's talk about the Volume 6 release party that we were all there for. Like, that was nuts. Okay, so, just, just to set up this, when was the last time you heard of a comic book getting a midnight release? No, no, no record. Yeah, yeah. In, in my memory. And then having 1,500 people show up, and sort of take over this random section of Midtown Toronto for, you know, a whole night. Yeah, yeah. and, and takeover really is uh, a good way to put it, because there was there was really not a lot of order that was going on. It was kind of just like this 
giant blob of people just kind of spread out over the block. Yeah, and and I love all the cars just trying to get through this mass of people, especially uh, at the costume contest, where everyone's just crammed up a, as close to the makeshift stage as they could to see these costumes. Like you don't, you honestly, it, it almost it sort of devolved into street hockey war- rules, where you know someone on the edge would shout "car" and we'd all shove out of the way, and you know then then it would go past, and everyone would yell "game on," and we get back in. Well, we actually did do that, being yeah. the thing. <laughs> the thing that bothered me the most about it, and I had a really good time for the most part with, that we were just standing at the ass end of this huge line, and we had, like, they gave us no indication what this is for. We were under the impression that there's only one line, and this is the line you have to be in if you want to get your book. And then we found out later that if you just want the book, there's a very, very short line around the corner that you can go to, and, you know, it'll take you all of eight seconds to get your book. And that's it. You know, you're good. Yeah, the the disorganization was definitely a bit of a turnoff, especially just because, I mean, we stood in a lineup, had no idea what was going on, and it wasn't until someone was like, hey, yeah, you can just go get your book over here. It was like, well, what the hell was I standing in this line for? Truthfully, like, it felt very irritating, to say the least. I I think we sort of bushwhacked the organizers. Like, they were not expecting 1,500 people to be there. See, Facebook says otherwise. (laughs) Yeah, well, I think when they declared the announcement, I I don't think they figured Facebook... Like, they they announced it, and then the Facebook uh, thing was, like, 1,000 people. And then they brought friends who... Yeah, I, I would be really interested to see, uh, and I know there's there's really no way of measuring it, but I'd really be interested to see uh, what the estimate was for like the, the number of walk up, you know? Yeah. Just like the people who are just like, oh hey, you know this is happening, we should go and uh, you know just check it out, kind of like a spur of the moment. Yeah, well, yeah. They, they only had like sale vouchers for a thousand people, so I don't what? know how that went down. But yeah, I, I, I mean, we've gone over the negative aspects of this party, but uh, there was a lot of fun to be had, too. Like, there was signings, and uh, they previewed the soundtrack for the movie, and there, w- there was, like, retro video gaming in a bar. Always good. Always yeah. good. Like, I, I got I to play some people of ANC Games for putting that on. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Go Gar. He's an awesome guy. We Scott and I ended up playing, uh, being Scott... Walker host. Uh, we ended up playing Bomberman for a little bit. That was that was a lot of fun. Oh, definitely a lot sick. of. There was a lot of yelling and screaming, of course, on my end because you know I blow myself up. And you, bad you guys time playing time. the one with the uh, with the gold flame? Um, no, this was uh, actually the Super Famicom version of Bomberman. Oh, nice. Like four, like uh, four player setup. Um, whatever map we were using was one that I apparently suck at because there's like these little panels that shove you across like like over a few tiles and i'm like did not realize that that's what those were yeah i I ended up kamikazeing a lot just by not figuring out what the little lines in the sand meant yeah but i was very bomberman the awesomest of Bomberman. bomberman i was bomberman so i didn't really care there are many i was the original S. Doug, that there are many Bombermen. There is, um, there's Fairy Bomberman, Ninja Bomberman. Are there men in this house? Bomberman? <laughs> no, but there is one Mega Man. Excellent. He has a dog. And a Buster Gun. I love you, Mega Man. See, that's kind of what I wish the Scott Pilgrim game was, was uh, sort of a Mega Man knockoff where you, where you could uh, pick which evil boyfriend you went to go to first. No. It's too bad they didn't set the game up like that, because that probably would have been better than the actual setup they have for it. And then you get to steal their powers, so you could have, like, vegan psychic powers. Yeah. Oh, the ninja with your vegan psychic powers. I guess they, yeah, the whole hand-to-hand combat thing really kind of lends itself to that beat-em-up, double-dragon kind of style. Yeah, no, it's true. I don't think they thrown in a Battletoads reference there or something. Ah, wasn't there? No, 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 it wasn't. Get the pause music. Yeah, I think the music was the only part of uh, Battletoads I liked at the time. Like that game was 
hard, man. Well, well, and it was hard, and then you try and bring a friend in, because bringing a friend in usually makes beat-em-ups easier. Oh, no, 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 no. You just end up beating the crap out of your friend. <laughs> Not easy. Yeah. You can beat your partners up in Scott Pilgrim, so... Nice. Look out! I'm gonna hit you from behind! Who knows? Yeah, no. It's usually what I do in Streets of Rage. <laughs> yeah. The Scott Pilgrim party was fun. Uh, I got my Volume 6 autographed by Brian Lee O'Malley. Went up to him and I uh, just said, You know, it was my birthday when I got in this line. Excellent. That was pretty cute. He he, he was apologetic, so... Well, I, and I just had to thank him for sticking around till 3 in the morning. We had a flight the next morning out to Comic-Con. <laughs> yeah. He's a stand-up dude. He is a, a stand-up guy. It is pretty impressive. I like that. I, I also a man got... who knows his adoring public. Yeah. Well, considering he also really doesn't like doing a lot of public events and interviews and whatnot, like, yeah. he deserves a lot of cred here for doing something generally in most cases he doesn't like doing. Exactly. So. Now we have to wait for the next uh, next great Toronto uh, animator to conjure up something. Yeah. Ryan North, we're looking at you. Ryan North does a comic with clip art. In fact, he doesn't even do the comic anymore. He just writes words for the same six panels. Can't That's, wait to see that movie. It's going to be a I, hell of a long take. Actually, I, you know what would be awesome is if uh, someone started doing animated shorts of that. Just like terrible... F- Terrible, like, flash animations of those, of the dinosaurs talking. And it, and it, it say, like, like the exact same set of, the exact same footage, just with uh, new dialogue dubbed in. I just imagine, um, Strong Bad having the voice of, uh, the, the, the first T-Rex. I just, I can't imagine him with any other voice. He yeah. sounds so confident, like, he knows what he's talking about, but he's just cool at the end of it, you know? Yeah, but but the thing is, uh, the brothers chaps don't do anything anymore. So uh, getting them to voice act in someone else's work w- would uh, probably not happen. Yeah, they're gonna take a serious amount of coin to get those guys out of retirement. Yeah, I, I get that you both had kids virtually simultaneously, but but it's been four months, dudes. And your last update was a uh, background for the site. I'm calling you out. Give me some content. I need more four Gregs. I love four Gregs. I guess it's, they're not kidding when you when you have a child, your life changes. Yeah. You know what? I'm actually going to throw down. I'm going to say Four Gregs is better than Teen Girl Squad. No. Wow. You lie. I'm throwing wow. it down. Da- I am throwing it down there. Two episodes of Four Gregs. opinions. <laughs> yeah. Four, two episodes of Four Gregs is better than the 14 or 16 or whatever number of Teen Girl Squad episodes. But wow, Teen Girl Squad is- writes Four Gregs. Yeah, well, Strong Bad writes, you know, Teen Girl Squad, and Strong Bad emails better than that too. Meta, meta. I'll be in my bunk then. That's not what that euphemism means. I don't care. I'm gonna go cry. Yeah, I was gonna say that's uh, that's that's interesting. Go cry now. Crying doesn't happen during bunk time unless you've got some serious mommy issues. <laughs> No, I don't. This thing does apparently have, like, stupid little sound effects. I could add crying. No. My crying is better. Alright, we will keep our crappy fake sound effects provided by Sam. In any case, shall we move on? Okay. The movie. I I I just want to say right now, why isn't there, like, an Oscar award for best casting? Because this movie sort of earned that. Like, they picked really awesome people to play these characters. Yeah, and and mostly a, uh, a cast of unknowns. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, Michael Sarah is popular, but I'm not sure he's, like, quite at the level where, you know, everyone watching a trailer would be able to point him out as Michael Sarah. He's kind of just, like, that, he's, so, that he's guy. He's that guy from that yeah. thing. Yeah, and exactly. And certainly not in an action movie. Like, for the past few years, he's kind of been playing Michael Sarah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, Jesse Eisenberg has also been playing Michael Sarah. Yes. Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sort of worked in Zombieland, though. Fair. I think, I think, I think Jesse Eisenberg has a bit more range uh, than Michael Sarah if the trailer for uh, The Social Network has shown anything. Which I think looks really good, by the way. Right? It sounds retarded in, or maybe I should use more politically correct um, 
terminology. Uh, it looks uh, it looks silly in the trailer. I mean, before you heard the trailer, well, what's it going to be? It's going to be a movie about Facebook. I'm like, okay, you know, that sounds just kind of whatever. Who would want to go see that? And then, you know, you see the trailer and you remember, oh, yeah, this guy who did Seven and, and Fight Club and other good stuff. And you're just like, wow, this is awesome. But, yeah, I, I think Jesse Eisenberg actually might be a better Michael Sarah than Michael Sarah. It's true. But Jesse Eisenberg was not in this movie. So uh, do we want to talk about uh, our other lead, Mary Elizabeth uh, Winstead? Uh, she was yes. perfect. She yeah. was perfect for Ramona. Absolutely perfect. The way that her timing was, just the way that she projected Ramona's not only sarcastic side, but even just the solemn side of her. Uh, I definitely enjoyed her quite a bit. I also just like that the look that they gave her was so identical to the comic. Yeah. Down to the goggles and everything, man. Down to the goggles and everything. Personally, for me, I actually thought her and Michael Sarah had quite good chemistry just because you know he's playing the lovable shmup and she's just kind of like okay you're a puppy i'm trying to kick you off but you're not getting off <laughs> so i liked Is her the guy that i kept seeing her the cheerleader from grinders yeah yes probably but you know what? i can't help it but you know it's just it's just a thing she she was good but i i think like the the, the real star of the show at least to me in terms of uh, best performance, it's got to go to um, Kieran Culkin. Oh, yes! Like, Wallace is an awesome it's part of the Wallace. comic, and then somehow Absolutely. the movie made him awesomer. And yeah. some of that has to be Kieran Culkin. For, for all the characters, I was kind of, in my estimation, it was like, yeah, you know, that's that's pretty good. But but Kieran Culkin was the only guy who I was like, yes, yes you that's... are Wallace Wells. That is fantastic. And he was, well, he was perfect. Well, part of the other oh. problem is that everyone else has sort of, like, done nothing, like... Like, Kim Pine, or uh, Stacey Pilgrim, was in Twilight for three minutes. Oh, and everyone Lord. else has, like, a bunch of random TV. Hey, hey, hey. She was in Up in the Air, and she was really good in that movie. To I be fair. Seen that yet. She was good. She was one of the better parts, because she's uh, George Clooney's protege in that movie. You know, we can <laughs> rag on her for Twilight, but Up in the Air, you know, she was good in that. She can't That's act. Okay. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if most of the cast of Twilight could act, considering uh, that uh, no one asked them to uh, try to try in, the, oh. in those movies. Yeah, really. Cool. Oh, come on! Bad mouthing Twilight is not controversial. <laughs> no. No. Hell, um, at this point. But you know what, Kieran Culkin. I mean, the best part of watching him be Wallace, of course, was just his timing for everything. Like, where he's unconscious in the bed, and he's already texted Stacy and Scott, just like, how did you do that? And he's just like, you see the little phone? Yeah. <laughs> or just and, like, and... uh, let's say just when he, like, the first time, you know, when Matthew Patel shows up, and he's like, hey, Scott, fight. And then after every boyfriend, he's like, hey, Scott, fight. And he gets a little less enthused each time. Yeah. And, and I gotta say, uh, this movie made me believe that uh, Michael Sarah could beat up Captain America and Superman about two days after another. No, apparently he's got, like, Michael Sarah went to a couple press of, like, he went to Comic-Con dressed in, like, a horrible, cheap, like, one of those awful Captain America costumes. Mm-hmm. Like, like their San Diego Comic-Con panel, he showed up dressed as Captain America. Did you see the Comic-Con video of um, Joshua Jackson trying to celebrate his character from Dawson's Creek? No. No. It was on Funny or Die, and it is, it is pretty awesome, because he does not take himself seriously at all. I will show well, you guys later. I'm sure this makes for awesome podcast content when I'm the only one who's seen it, but rest assured. Well, you know what? We'll put it in the show notes, and then everyone will be like, oh, funny. Yes. We'll have to put up a link on the uh, on the, the bloggy blog. On the Blago blog. The Blago sphere. So, uh, let, let's move on to the soundtrack, which is just great. Okay, yeah, let's talk soundtrack. I'm really excited for this. Like, okay, we've got Beck writing for Sex bob And who was writing for Crash and the Boys? Broken Social Scene. That That's what I thought. And just the amount of indie rock or, like, weird, out-of-the-way alt stuff on this soundtrack is great. Yeah, like, exactly. And you have um, longtime Beck producer uh, Nigel Godrich handling the score. And, you know... It was just, it was, it was fantastic, you know. I mean, it's, it's really focused on the, the gaming subculture, and you know, it doesn't really make a terrible amount of sense to have a bunch of popular music on there, you know. 
Like, yeah. I mean, you have a Rolling Stones song, but it's not like a, a hit single, like, you know, um, Sympathy for the Devil, Satisfaction. Well, even even that Stones tune, it, it's background, it's thematic, it works thematically. Yeah. And, and um, th- this is sort of a hipster movie, so I, I don't think, I think if you want to make a movie here for hipsters, you sort of need a, a hipster bunch of artists to do it. True. True. You have uh, Frank Black uh, from the Pixies. You have the Black Lips. Uh, yes, yes. T Rex, exactly. Blood Red Shoes, Metric. So it's it's a good balance of you know classic and and current and you know rising stars you know all all coming together to make uh, you know it's it's just a really well balanced soundtrack and and it's just it's just it's just a good ass soundtrack to cooperate uh, to forever. It's just a good ass soundtrack. And and it's used really well in the movie. Yeah. Like like the the first half almost feels a bit like a musical. Yeah yeah I I uh, I, I agree with you. And and it was it was funny because uh, I was in HMV the other day and they were playing the uh, the soundtrack over the over the over the speakers there and uh, there was uh, a kid there with his dad and uh, they were playing a garbage truck <laughs> and I'm pretty sure the dad had no idea the context of the song you know he was just taking it for what it was. You know, he was he was he was grooving to it. It was it was it was pretty interesting just to see you know just natural reaction like that. You know, so if if somebody at that age can can just uh, you know I don't really know anything. Guy, maybe he's really super open minded when it comes to music. But you know, yeah. I think it has uh, a, a lot of uh, widespread appeal. You know, if people can get back over the fact that uh, it's it's such a you know movie based in uh, relative obscurity. I mean. Who makes a movie about nerds in Toronto? That's just ridiculous, right? That, well, it, it's not even nerds in Toronto. It's like video game Toronto. Yeah, seriously. And and the, the and the weird thing is, like, following a couple of blogs and some news, like, there, there's a few people who are saying that, like, this movie is not for anyone over 30. And then there's uh, Seamus Young, who is just a phenomenal, phenomenal guy. He He's sort of a game designer slash blogger slash really funny dude. Also, you can check his stuff out on The Escapist, too, now. But he, even he's like, I'm like a bajillion years old and didn't start gaming on the PC till much later than uh, some of these kids from uh, the Nest days did. But I, I loved this movie, and and even the, the the stuffy fellows over at National Public Radio think it's awesome. But yeah, talk. Let's talk about Toronto in this movie. Coming back to the center of the universe, like it, it's great to see Toronto be Toronto in a movie and not just sort of stand in for New York. And like kick ass. Like kick ass. And that the, was badly done, by the way. Yeah. Like it, it's one thing to shoot somewhere and sort of hide it, but w- when you pick really popular areas to shoot, like like when, like when you can watch the movie and name exactly what street corner they are standing on. Yeah. Not the best sign. Anybody else catch um, using a bus on uh, college, which I I think is mostly. Uh, Streetcar dominated street. Yes. Yeah, but they would have been shooting after, like, they would have been shooting late at night because that's it's easier to close off uh, the streets then. Right. So I would not break my suspension of disbelief that uh, they've they've switched over to the twenty four hour blue line buses or something. And using the old school TTC buses, not the modern ones. It gives it you know, kind of a a grunchy yeah. sort of feel. Those are, kind of, those are the kind of buses that O'Malley was was riding, you know, when he was that age. Like he and he was and he obviously is drawing the grungy old school buses. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like that they don't make a big point of showing off like the Toronto landmarks. People not from Toronto know, like they don't. No one goes to the CN Tower. You see it, but no one goes there. You go to these odd little areas like Casa Loma is a big showpiece, but they sort of justify it by saying there's they're shooting a movie there. And yeah. you know you you see them just wandering around uh, the annex constantly. Yeah, Lee's Palace, very yeah. very big. Like uh, they we can... surprised they didn't choose to to, to shoot anything at uh, Sneaky D's. Well, weird. they they didn't have any scenes of anyone just hanging out eating food. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm sure if there was a, I'm sure there's like there might be even be a deleted scene of them just sitting around hanging out and. Yeah, Sneaky D's is pretty much the Moss Eisley of of, of hipster. Yeah, it, no, it is. Scum you, you, know, you know what's disappointing in, in one sense for the movie, though? One of my favorite scenes in the comic is where Ramona and Knives have their fight at the T-Ref. Yeah. I, that would have been awesome to just see 
you know, there's the T-Ref and there's Ramona sliding down, you know, the, the stairwell handle and like, like I go to the T-Ref quite a bit when I, when I get the opportunity. So like for me, that was a favorite scene, just seeing a place that I, I frequent in a comic. So yeah. that, for that one, for me, that one was a little disappointing, but I can understand being crunched for a certain number of time. Right. Yeah. They were, they, like were they kept the fight scene, changed the context. One thing, you know, and I guess this is my main complaint with the film, is that I understand that, you know, you have six books, and the movie was, like, what? Like, an hour and a half? Just a shade under two hours. Even though it doesn't feel like it. It's, like, yeah, ADD oh, editing I'm, that makes yeah. it move really fast. Seriously. That, that felt like it was no time at all. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, two hours, and they still had to edit it that much? I'm really hoping that they can work, put together some kind of expanded release like uh, what Zack Snyder did with Watchmen, kind of, you know, you take all the uh, the extra parts. And I know, you, Scott, you were telling me the other day uh, on Twitter about how they're, they're uh, making some animated uh, shorts for, for some of the bits that they cut out. The, the, the first one is up, and I don't know if there's going to be any more, but it covers all the flashbacks of high school. So you get, the, so you get the whole backstory with Scott and Kim and yeah, the 90-foot-tall school kid who shoots lightning out of his eyes. That's, you know, that's that's the kind of the stuff that, you know, I felt that the movie was lacking. There's almost, I think, too much time uh, dedicated to the to the fight scenes. And, you know, if you've, you've seen Edgar Wright movies before, yeah. you know, that action is, like, a, a really big part of his film, like, especially in, in Hot Fuzz, uh, near the end, they just completely take well, all the time to, to have, like, that 20-minute extended fight scene uh, at the end of the film. But but here's the thing, like the the, the first half hour of the movie yeah. is all set up, like it's it's just the characters, it's just setting up Scott and Knives, it's setting up Wallace, it's setting up the band, yeah. and you know like you finally hit the half hour mark, and then Matthew Patel like jumps in with his finger and his speed lines and his hipster demons. It's not as though he didn't try to do everything he could, but again, like I, I missed Knives' dad. Uh, yeah, and and. Like the fight with the twins was just—I I felt that was—that was, you know, they kind of backed themselves into a corner. They figured the rest of it out, and like, oh, okay, well, we got to include these guys. What like, can we do? We still—the twins are such an afterthought. Where, where in the comic they're there to sort of highlight the both both Scott and Ramona's infidelity, yeah, issues, and you know, it it means no robots. So we got a dragon fighting we, we, the monkey. We, we did get dragons fighting dog. We we did get double dragon fighting Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong, yeah. Yeah. Donkey did, was not wearing his tie. I think that was a copyright thing. Totally oh. understand. No barrel tossing either. Oh, if only. If only. If only. Gotta leave something for the sequel, right? Gotta leave some for the sequel. Like, I was reading some article talking to um, the girl who plays Stacey Pilgrim, and even the writer clearly does not know what the hell the comic, how the comic went because she sort of implies that there's hopes for a sequel saying that well there were six comics it's like yeah they kind of hit all the buttons if anything i'd like at this point i'd almost want to see um just get a sort of extended like animated adaptation one can hope yeah like like supernatural is getting an anime why why can't scott pilgrim really supernatural yes yep i mean supernatural is like an all right show it is pretty cool. You couldn't have given to the X Files. Ah. I miss you, X Files. Damn right. I miss you, especially the episode with Anthony Rapp from Rent. <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> One change the movie made that I really liked was um, the the fight with Todd Ingram, Evil X Number Three, where uh, in in the comic it's him mostly sort of getting beat to hell and then sort of getting saved by the boys in Crash and. Um, and the vegan police. And here he sort of pulls a Princess Bride gambit of, uh, well, one of these coffees is poisoned. Can you choose which one? Like, they make Scott seem a little craftier than the comic, where he, he just spends a lot of time running away, and then, you know, when he's finally in a corner, he, he mans up and kicks ass. Yeah, exactly. A lot of running, uh, a lot of yelling, uh, a lot of uh, reluctance to do things, which, you know, is... is uh important because that's that's how he was portrayed in the film but i don't know i just you know how you, know, you kind of see morgan freeman in the same role over and over again and kind of gets away with it because he's morgan freeman yeah yeah michael Sarah's not at that point yet because his typecast role is young loser guy 
He's yeah. really not going to be able to hold on to that for much longer. Like, eventually he's going to be 35. Exactly. Not even Dawson's Creek will think he's a teenager anymore. Oh, good lord. It's like, um... <laughs> did you watch The Pacific? Have you seen any of it yet? No, I haven't. But it's basically, yeah. You see the kid uh, from Jurassic Park all grown up in that, and you do a double take and just like, what? Like, oh, that's what happened to him. That's right. You know, and it just so... All these, all these uh, people grow up and they just become, you know, they have to find, like, they have to reinvent themselves. Yeah. David Bowie, you're a true original. I'll never forget you. Except it's sort of sad that everyone still sort of remembers Bowie when he was pretending to be a um, crazy space alien monster. Absolutely. Good old days. Or the King of the Goblins. <laughs> <laughs> Jared. So good. With his mighty, with his mighty patch. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know how anyone thinks that's a kid's movie with that much crotch. You don't think Magic Dance is an acceptable song for a kid's movie? Uh, not to, to that choreography. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, there's something on my brain right. and I was trying to remember. Oh, um, I'm trying to think. There's one other change, but I don't know if I was kind of cool with it. But I don't remember because I read the sixth comic really quickly. The last scene with Knives helping Scott, was that in the comic? No, no. Like, in the sixth that volume. That completely changed, Yeah. yeah. Because the there six... was the whole Utena thing. Yeah. In in the sixth volume of the comic, the, the closure with Knives comes when he sort of does his little uh, high-fidelity thing where he starts yeah. sort of soliciting all his... Scott starts soliciting all his exes for casual sex. And then he gets closure with everyone there. Oh. It, it, it wants him. Yeah. Now, now we sort of see the Knives-Ramona-T-Ref uh, fight in the context of... Them, her trying to get revenge on Ramona for reasons that don't make sense, unless you're a hormonal teenager. The the change that I do like is uh, that that Scott's one up is not sort of like an auto life, but it sort of brings him back to the start of the sta- stage. So you get this Groundhog Day moment where he does everything again, but like more impatient and a little bit better. Well, it's that opportune moment to like because he has the realization when he dies of, hey, I was a jackass. To relive all of that, I mean, it's great to see the impatience because he knows he's like, I have to make this all up now. Yeah, well, and it's sort of interesting. Like, I, I tend not to think too much about the whole hero's journey monomyth structure for storytelling, even though so much does it. It's just if I think about it too hard, it sort of ruins the movie for me in a lot of ways. But here, he, but again, uh, part of that monomyth is that eventually the hero has to literally or symbolically travel to the land of the dead. And that's where he gets his last bit of knowledge to save the freaking day. And so there he is, dead in the desert, and Ramona sort of gives him that last little lecture about what he's doing. And then he goes back, and he wins the day. I say, what's important also about that scene, it's not just Scott coming to terms, it's Ramona too. Yeah. Ramona's finally opening up and saying that, you know, this is her end, right? That, you know, here's the hint to get rid of Gideon, what a dick, <laughs> and, you know, show Scott that he's got to make the change as well. It can't be just her. I don't know. I, I definitely like how they did it. I just, my biggest beef with that whole scene was the whole fact that, you know, that change was a l- little weird mm-hmm. and just kind of comes out of left field, I think. At least for me personally, I didn't, I didn't see how that worked out as well. I don't know, I just, it was just weird to see Knive just appear out of nowhere and be like, I'll fight for you, Scott, because I still love you, but I hate Ramona because she hurt your feelings. Well, well, she is kind of a ninja. She, oh, no, I get that. She shows up out of nowhere a lot. No, no, like, I, I get that, but her, her reasoning is like, as you said, it's like hormonal teenager. In one sense, it's, I still love Scott, but, oh my god, this girl hurts Scott's feelings at the same time, though, but she knows that Scott likes Ramona, so... It, it, there's still something that felt very disjointed for me. It was also sad that Ramona didn't pwn her ass. But uh, talking about that fight scene, it, it's great to see that this movie actually treat its uh, female characters like action stars. Like even, even in like a lot of superhero movies with female characters, the girls get like one action scene, and it's more for titillation than an actual sort of exercise in chorea- choreographing and shooting a fight. Caught Iron Man too. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm, I'm the only person who's going to complain about how effing awful 
Scarlett Johansson's role was in that movie. She was great to look at. Oh, absolutely. there. Yeah, well, here's hoping that it just ends up being really good setup for Avengers and her getting her own movie. All right, if they give her her own movie, they better make her uh, interesting, because uh, that was the challenging part. She was not likable one bit. There, there is a Black Widow movie on the books. Like, um, I think I think uh, Samuel L. Jackson is signed on for. I think Marvel owns his soul now. Like, I think he's got it. I think he's got it to do at least a cameo in twelve movies for them. One thing, uh, just throw it there if you guys want to discuss amongst yourselves. Uh, one of my friends suggested, and I, I realize uh, how unlikely this is, considering the fact that you know budget and and you know interest. But do you think that it would have been more effective if they could have uh, split it into three films covering uh, two books each in order to, uh, you know, give the, the all the, the subplots the time they needed to breathe and kind of uh, carve out the backstory more? Not necessarily. I, I, I don't think I could agree to a two-book split, but I could definitely see doing, like, one, two, three in one movie – Four and five in the next, and then just do a saving six for one whole feature. Right. Because there, there's a lot of stuff in one, like, that you could, that even if you were sort of interested in covering all the subplots, you you could drop. Like, I really don't think uh, Hollywood needs to teach us all how to make vegan burritos, as fun as that was in the comic. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, there is stuff you can you can definitely cut in, but... You know, when it when it when it comes down to like cutting out like you know, Kim and Scott's backstory, you just reduce that down to like a couple lines. Then you know, that's when I start to have you know a bit of a problem with the editing. Well, especially because like the last exchange uh, Scott has with Kim is sort of very much hinting at stuff that would have been in the script earlier. Like without it there, you know something something bad happened. Like, but you don't get the full details. Yeah. And I would have loved to have seen sort of the drama of Sex bob trying to record and, um, you know, Steven Stills turning out to be gay. Well, yeah, considering, you know, Wallace has the magic powers. Yeah, but... It could have happened. It could have made it work. Yeah, well, that was sort of the great thing about uh, the comic is that, you know, as much as Wallace has this habit of, you know, stealing Stacy's boyfriends, he, uh, Stephen finds his gayness on his own. Yeah. And the other thing about the adaptation, I'm not sure I'm totally there for, is uh, the time compression, where the whole thing takes place in less than a month, rather than sort of the year and a half the comic took. Just because it really makes, um, it, it, it like, really makes sort of Wallace look like a huge giant man slut when he's got, like, you know, he, he's got three different guys make, he's making out with in the course of, you know, two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, in a way, the movie, I mean, especially if you're someone who hasn't read the comic, that actually does give a pretty negative impression for Wallace. No matter yeah. how cool Wallace is, knowing that he's a giant manho and not realizing that that's not entirely the case, I mean, that's that's pretty, uh, it's not a good impression to have from someone who goes from watching the movie first to reading the comic. And it's the same for actually quite a number of the characters, like like you said about Kim. Um, because Kim gets barely no development as the girl who once dated Scott and, you know, the girl an angry who screams dumber. a lot, um, she's not given much of an impression. To, to be honest, you can't really say that Kim is likable or dislikable. She's just kind of there. Whereas in the comic, once you have all the development, you know, you understand why Kim is the way that she is. And that's the thing with, with the time compression, you know, it sort of ruins a lot of, like, the personableness of the characters and to an extent. So you don't feel them as being someone you can relate to. Like as much as it's a fun movie to watch, um, I can't personally say that I can relate to most of the characters because I don't have the knowledge of knowing them the way that the comic allows me to do. And like, let's also look at young Neil and young Neil's track record that happens in the, right. He just, they just are like, okay, now you're promoted, and that's pretty much most well, of Well, actually, I think Neil came out better in the movie, where, course of six volumes, young Neil goes from guy who hangs out while the band plays to guy who's dating Knives only because Knives thinks she can get back at Scott that way, to finally sort of getting some recognition when Scott just calls him, introduces to someone as Neil. Whereas here, you see him as sort of like, 
this ascending fanboy that, you know, he hangs out with the band because he really wants to join, but he can't, the setup they have doesn't allow for him to join. And then he sort of gets promoted to being in the band and sort of being acknowledged as even better for the band than Scott was. And sort of formally declaring to the world that he is no longer young Neil, but just Neil. That's my sort of stand on young Neil. I don't know. Just, no love for Graham Nash? Alright, like, if we had to look at it now, I mean, of all the characters, which is the one you would probably sleep with, based on the movie, I'm not saying the comic. Just just for fun and shits and giggles. And oh, yes. Ramona. You would sleep with Ramona, Scott? Absolutely. That is the ultimate Kobe. <laughs> sure. But, sure. but dude, you do real you do realize that if you sleep with Ramona, the, you've got seven dudes who want to beat you up. <laughs> you're a scrawny guy, but I don't think you're getting past uh, the the Bollywood guy. What Patel? Yeah, Patel. Patel's a pushover. Dude, Patel has hips for demons. It's like saying you'd loot a glass Joe. Dude, Patel also has like Bollywood dance number. <laughs> he looks like a, he looks like a pirate, but he doesn't mean he is one. <laughs> He's kind of a gay pirate. This. Like he he wears more eye makeup than the girls in the movie. I got this. Tell as a clown. <laughs> uh, I, I would end up doing envy because in the movie they cut out all her backstory, so she seems less uh, psychotic. And, like just bitchy. Just sort of vaguely bitchy. Okay. What about you, Sam? Who who who's your uh, bedroom buddy? Todd Todd Ingram. Todd Ingram. Mister Vegan Police. He is a uh, rock star. Well, it's not just that he's a rock star. It's also just the fact that he is, even in just in the co- terms of the comic, which I know I said, he's the best looking in the comic, and he's the best looking in the movie. Like, miles away from being the most physically attractive, and I know that makes me so shallow. At the same time, I mean, dude, base off. Also, he <laughs> would punch the moon for you. He would that, that's kind of an awesome gesture. That's, Even that's, if it's a little played out, because you'd be like the third girl he did that for. Eh, it's exactly. pretty romantic. My my only complaint is knowing that he'll likely cheat on me. Likely. A little disappointing. Yeah. Come on, he's a rock star. <laughs> we, know, we know. We know. In most cases, most rock stars do sleep with other women, even though it might be totally all, oh, I love you, and I'm loyal to you. No. Bull. Bullshit. But he'd be like going around being all, I'm more vegan than thou. And you'd be like, I just want a cheeseburger, dude. <laughs> That's true. My weakness of cheeseburgers would uh, not go over good with him. Like, like seriously, I don't think I could date anyone who would not partake of bacon cheeseburger with me. <laughs> F that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Indeed, indeed. Okay, um, can we can we start uh, wrapping this up? I still got to start packing. I, I know. Um, I don't know if I have anything else to say except I I do like the. Just to go back to sort of one of the higher level things is that the visual style of the movie that they 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 shot this with like animation shortcuts built in like they've got shout lines and speed lines and like the the, the stupid run that Scott Pilgrim does is the same stupid run that a lot of uh, sort of shonen manga heroes do. Yeah, no, the visual style is definitely one of the best parts of the movie, and the fact that Edgar Wright decides to be completely true to the comic. I mean, it's definitely a plus for those who read the comic before seeing the movie. Yeah. Just because, like, you, you you see it on the page, and you're just like, oh, that's so cool, but then you see it on the screen, and just the way that he blows it all up that makes it more, even more epic. Yeah. Definitely pleasing and, to the eye. And that's, that's, that's a really good point, I think, because you can actually really tell that, you know, uh, Edgar Wright read the book, loved the book, wanted to do it justice, put his heart and soul into this. This is not just, you know, like, uh, just a way to get another paycheck. You know, he, he actually really, you can, it, it's it's pretty clear to see that he, he really tried. And it, it shows. It, it's, it looks fantastic. And, you know, there's a lot of attention to detail and, and care put into the movie. I just thought he did a fantastic job. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts is going to be, this is the most fun I've had at the movies all freaking year. Maybe last year, too. And th- this is my favorite comic book movie, and pop- and now I think my favorite video game movie, even though the video game sort of came after. I can agree with that, yeah. definitely. 
especially just because I find a lot of comic movies to be very stale for the most part. But this one was just, you know, it was so fast paced and you, you sit there and it's just moving so quickly and you get disappointed by the end because you know it's over and you don't want it to be over. And that's how I felt when we when I finished watching the movie. I was like, no, it's over, but I want more. Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot to be said about movies that, that you know, make make you keep feeling like that. You want to go back and you want to, you know, continue to be in that universe. And, you know, it's not really a lot of fun when, you, when you're when you done. And, okay, you know, I've, I've had about, you know, enough of being, you know, with that character and with those, with his friends. So, liked it better than The Spirit. Probably not as much as uh, The Dark Knight. But holding out hope, expanded release, Edgar Wright, don't let me down. Have at least a solid 45 minutes of, of extra scenes in there. Carve out that backstory, make it fancy. I will give this a glowing review. But as for now, I have uh, a this well bad. Bad. On the outside. You can take his opinion of Smells bad on the inside. Release a Creative Commons license. Visit our website at sbopodcast.blogspot.com. Good night. This has been Smells Bad on the Outside. Um, see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.